Hey now, we are getting over. I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here once again to lead you through these hard times. That it with a unique instant reaction edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We learned on Wednesday that WWE has released six additional wrestlers, superstars, whatever you want to call them, another round of releases for WWE as we try to determine what end these releases are coming to, how many more there may or may not be, and what this means for WWE and these performers in general as we move forward. So we will be breaking that down on today's podcast, which was normally set to be, for one of the rare occasions in this podcast history, a solo show for NXT, given that it aired on Tuesday night and AEW this week is not set to air until late Friday. So we are going to do both in the same show. It's very strange to cover those two topics in one show, but that is what we are here to do today. And joining me for the unfortunate WWE releases part of the show is none other than vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, I appreciate you taking the time out of what has been an incredibly busy day in the world of sports and sports entertainment to break down this unfortunate news that we have just heard, um, you know, really right after two of WWE's three big TV shows aired this week. Yeah, this one came out of nowhere. So uh, really sucks to see. And I think there's a could be a lot more going on in the big picture that I think we're going to get into and what this really means. Absolutely. And we will talk about that at the end once we break down each individual release. And of course, a reminder real quick, no sound drops today, but uh, do not forget that the show is all about the five. We need those five-star ratings and reviews. And I hope you guys appreciate when we not only do the instant analysis podcast for pay-per-views, but we jump on to do emergency podcasts, instant reaction to huge news in the world of professional wrestling. And that's what we are here to do today. So Chris, let's talk about it. Uh, We have six releases from WWE, two of which really to me stand out more than the rest, not to say anyone's more or less important than anyone else, but there's two that legitimately shocked me. And the other four, I basically all understood in one way or the other, even though I certainly do not want anyone to lose their jobs. And the first name that really sticks out to me may not be the first name that sticks out to others. To to me, it's Aleister Black, a former NXT champion who had an incredible run down there and a great feud that will be memorable forever with Velveteen Dream that we just recently talked about when Velveteen Dream got released by WWE. Uh, Black debuted on the main roster by teaming up with Ricochet while he was simultaneously still in NXT. But that pairing with Ricochet was great and it was really exciting. He eventually became what I would consider one of the early MVPs during the pandemic. He had those great matches with Andrade and Murphy at the time. I believe uh, Seth Rollins as well. He ended up actually injuring his eye despite the fact that he was in a storyline you know, with Rey Mysterio and Rollins and Murphy that actually had to do with the poking out of an eye. But he did legitimately hurt his eye and had eye surgery. And then suddenly, once he recovered from that, he was not used for the better part of seven months. And WWE just spent the last month rebuilding him with vignettes that were clearly not cheap. And they finally bring him back. They redebut him two weeks ago in the main event of their top show, SmackDown, costing one of their biggest stars in Big E, the Intercontinental Championship. So you can think what you want about the videos, the vignettes, 
and their subject matter. Chris and I certainly debated, you know, how much we were buying into them or how much we weren't. But you cannot deny that it seemed like WWE was invested into this guy coming back and even putting him in a big spot. And then two weeks later, they fire him seemingly for no reason whatsoever. According to Black, it came out of left field. He had no idea why this happened. And that is why this is by far the most shocking to me, because it was truly, to use his words, out of left field. The guy has everything WWE could want. He's an incredible wrestler. He has a great, unique look and is a good promo. There is maybe in their history, few guys, in my opinion, that WWE have ever bungled more than Aleister Black. This guy is main event caliber. He could have been the heir apparent to The Undertaker, not the exact same character, but the same mystique, the ability to change the gimmick over years and be this dominant, unbeatable force. Because the truth is, Aleister Black, Tommy End, where he what, what he was known as on the independents, is unlike anyone else in WWE right now and is largely unlike most of the wrestlers WWE's had in its ex- existence. NXT did such a great job creating his character with an all-time type of entrance, the candles sitting up from a, you know, laying down position like he's coming out of a casket. WWE actually continued it when he debuted on Raw. And with Paul Heyman leading creative at the time, I thought he was destined for stardom. This guy, Aleister Black, cares so much about the little things in his character. I had a great interview with him within the last year where he talked about all this type of stuff. Laying Easter eggs for fans, playing things out. He was constantly pitching characters and storylines and ideas to creative team and Vince McMahon. This is the exact type of guy that any wrestling organization would die to have as one of their top stars because he cares about wrestling and the industry and the storytelling more than he does anything else. There's another big name that we're going to discuss in a little bit of a moment. I'm going to let Chris get in here and talk about this. And the timing of that release may be even a little bit more surprising than the timing of this release for different, completely different reasons. But this one is by far, Chris, the biggest shock to me. And dude, there were even talks of them potentially rehiring Zelina Vega recently, as recent as a couple of weeks ago. So I'm just floored by the fact that WWE released Aleister Black. Yeah, it's the timing that really tells you how strange this whole situation is. Yeah, he was just interfering in the main event of SmackDown. I think Sean Ross Sapp said they just recorded a new entrance song for him, they said. So there were plans for this guy. This wasn't like, oh, we're going to try to reboot him and maybe and maybe start him at the bottom and bring him up. No, there was he was in the main event huge about feud. the feud with Big E, yeah. which was going to be a huge deal. That's the that's that's why this hire highlights. I'm sorry, this firing highlights how bizarre these cuts are in the larger picture because it clearly was not a situation where they couldn't figure out what to do with somebody. You know, even you know Braun Strowman, we haven't seen him for a bit. We just saw Alistair Black a few days ago, and they were about to start something. That's why this makes this extremely strange, and I, I, I think speaks to maybe bigger things going on. As for Black specifically. I was not as high on him as you were. I didn't necessarily see him as a world champion, but you're right that he was a guy who always brought something different. He looked different. He wrestled different. When he was on my screen, I was interested, whatever he was doing. So very 
big loss for WWE in terms of their presentation and how they want to do it. And it's really uh, a shame that a guy who really they had figured it out in NXT and I think had figured it out when he first came up to the main roster, um, never kind of got that back. And maybe they would have. Obviously, they had some plans here. It's a real shame we didn't get to see it either. I mean, I mean, that's why it's shocking because this is clearly this is clearly something that just came up. Yeah. I mean, when they did the WWE draft and the call-ups like two years ago or whenever it was, Raw, I was so bullish on the Raw roster because it had Samoa Joe and it had Aleister Black and Andrade and Ricochet and Buddy Murphy. That was his name at the time. And now all of those guys, with the exception of Ricochet, are no longer in WWE. And those other guys were people that we were talking about, whether it was being world champions or top-tier mid-carders or just guys that we were excited to see wrestle and interact and have matches with each other. It seemed for a period of time like Raw was really going to take a step in 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 the right direction. This is, again, two years ago we're talking about. And we've seen that everything has transpired with all of these guys. But Black was always that one guy you guys know long-term listeners of mine, this this podcast has only existed for, I mean, I can lose count, but like 15, 16 months, something like that. By the way, it's crazy. We've been doing this that long. Um, But I've been talking and singing Aleister Black's praises for years now, since, since he debuted in NXT. And I said, holy shit, this guy is special. So out of all of these releases, not just this round, but other rounds, I mean, I was surprised at Andrade that they couldn't use him. I was shocked at Samoa Joe, but there were reasons for that. They wouldn't clear him medically. This one to me, not just because of the caliber of performer, not just seemingly, I don't know him personally, but he seems to have a very good character, meaning his personality his, his, as a human being. And the fact that he had such a ridiculously high ceiling and they just freaking redebuted him two weeks ago for all of those reasons. It made every shred of sense that Aleister Black was just at the very beginning of a potential ascent to stardom in WWE. And I'm promising you all this, they're going to regret releasing Aleister Black because he's going to show up either in AEW or in New Japan or both. And he is going to explode and be a megastar. And I could be wrong. I have been before. Generally, I'm not though. And I just... It depresses me to see Aleister Black released from WWE. We will move on to the second person who was released. That is just a massive, shocking surprise name. And that's Braun Strowman, who last month just main evented WrestleMania Backlash in a triple threat for the WWE Championship with Drew McIntyre and champion Bobby Lashley. This is a former Universal Champion who beat freaking Goldberg. They put him over Goldberg at WrestleMania. Now, granted, he was a replacement for Roman Reigns, and he was probably the only person they really could have put in that spot to take the title off Goldberg because he's big and strong and all these types of things. And yes, granted, they hadn't given him a world title run before that or since. But they still made him the universal champion, and he didn't drop the title right away. He had a multi-month feud with The Fiend. Eventually, yes, he did lose it, which was a transitional move to put it onto Roman Reigns. He's also a former Intercontinental Champion, a two-time tag team champion, most notably the win with Nicholas at WrestleMania that got a huge reception, despite the fact that you all remember, I absolutely hated it in the time. He won the greatest Royal Rumble. He won the Andre the Giant 
Memorial Battle Royal. He won money in the bank. Yes, he failed to cash it in, but he still won money in the bank. And he was named the WWE Superstar of the Year in 2018, less than three years ago. Now, personally, despite his real name being Adam, I had never been a huge fan of Braun Strowman. But you cannot deny that this guy got great reactions from the crowd and moved merchandise and was massively over with the PG audience, with the kids, the fans that WWE is trying to get and sculpt into longtime consumers of the product. This past year, he was just in a WrestleMania match that they forced together to make sure he got on the card with Shane McMahon, for Christ's sakes. So I am just, again, shocked by the release of Braun Strowman because unlike Aleister Black, who I think has all of the good wrestling parts, Strowman has all the good sports entertainment parts. Do I hate the train? Did I hate the train sound and the Strowman Express and all of that type of stuff? Yes, I did, because it's corny. But again, when you're just about to start, Chris, going on tour again, you're, you're about to go in front of fans and you release, I don't know where he ranks among the, the people who are most over, probably not in the top 10, but probably definitely in the top 20. To release one of those guys for seemingly no reason is just a shocker to me. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the opposite of kind of Aleister Black where we had just seen him interfere in a main event. I don't think we've seen Braun since... Uh, I think he was or maybe the raw. after. I I think he was on the raw after I'll look it up while you're talking. I think he was on the raw after. And I was really upset that he looked so good in that main event at backlash, but they treated him so poorly on that that next raw. Yeah, that's why it's weird, because this is a guy who can do this guy can do everything. And who would have thought that this guy came in with a power lifter? He was part of the bunny, the the, the, I'm sorry, the the Adam Rose, Mm -hmm. whatever that group was called. And he makes his debut as the black sheep. And a lot of people hated him in that role. But I, I liked I could tell he had something at the beginning and he got better and better as it went on. He has that match with the big show where he does a kip up. And I think that felt like a moment where a lot of people really got in him as like, oh, OK, this guy can actually really do some stuff that fall when he was feuding with Roman Reigns. He should have won the championship then. He was absolutely he was, he was he was still new to the business and everything. And it felt like that was one reason why they didn't do it. But he was over as he was more over than anybody else in the company at that time. And when he was when he was uh, flipping ambulances, telling Roman, I'm not through with you yet. Like that was funny. It was good. It was exciting. Everybody loved it. And they didn't pull the trigger. And then they didn't pull the trigger until coming off of last year's WrestleMania. And he, he kind of cooled off a little bit. But I was at that WrestleMania where he won the tag team championships with Nicholas, the kid. I was too. And the crowd loved it. They went nuts for that whole bit. Like this guy could do everything. He does media appearances. He's a, he's an entertaining wrestler. He's good on the mic. I think his tactics are a little weird. Isn't he he'll like move he's not the good mic? On the mic. He's I not think good he's on. he's fine on the mic. But the way he holds the mic, there's like little things that kind of are weird about it. But he's not bad. And so that's why this is so surprising. This is a guy you can throw into any main event at any time. It's a big guy who can do a lot. You figure Vince likes this. Now, Sean Ross Sapp reported that uh, he heard that the reason for this release is because Braun's contract is apparently ginormous. I, I think he signed a four-year deal in 2019, and that speaks to the financial situation. And 
perhaps larger things being at play here. Uh, but, you know, you talk about Alistair Black being a, a, a guy, any, any company would be lucky to have. I think Braun fits right in there as well. He does. I mean, I disagree with you about some of the opinions you expressed about Braun, but that's okay. I mean, there's no denying that he was a star in WWE. When you use the term superstar, Braun is the one guy on this list that was truly a WWE superstar. The way they built him, the way they booked him, the way they promoted him. I, I mean, the guy sold a lot of merch. Like You just cannot deny certain things like that. And again, what surprises me most is they're just about to start touring again. And he's an attraction. Now, maybe he's not as big of an attraction as we think. Maybe WWE's analytics department was able to prove that, you know, based on what he's paid and what he brings in or or the amount of interest that's attributed to him, it's not very high. But I could be wrong. I think one, and you always point to WWE's YouTube numbers. I don't. But I think one of their top YouTube's um, videos coming out of WrestleMania was Braun tearing the side off that cage and killing Shane McMahon. Like that was... One of mm-hmm. the big moments from that show. I do, by the way, I also want to correct myself. Braun did not appear on the Raw after WrestleMania Backlash. I don't know why I thought that, but I just remember for some reason being so super impressed with him uh, in that individual WrestleMania Backlash match that I said, this may be the start of something for Braun Strowman. Like that was his best showing in WWE since definitely before the start of the pandemic, maybe it isn't. I think that was the best match of his career. Could be that. I mean, I, mean that, I think about that big show match a lot early on being a really thing. It really sticks out. The big show was cool. He's, I think he's he had was good in matches. The, I think he was in the fatal four way at SummerSlam a few years ago. That was mm-hmm. a, an absolute banger, big meaty men type of banger. But I mean, he's talented now. Yes. Um, you know, you guys always, when we do these shows, which unfortunately we do far too many of them, we always talk about where we think people can go. And I know you guys like that. I always get a lot of tweets. So regarding Braun, do I think he would fit in AEW? Yeah, I absolutely do. But at the same time, I don't know that it's the best fit for him, nor do I know that they kind of want to upend what they're currently doing to bring in a guy that is kind of missing, you know, part of that repertoire. Now, if they brought him in as muscle for someone else, kind of like a Jake Hager, I think that would work. But as his own individual star initially, I don't know that it would. I think Impact would actually be a really, really good spot for him because he could dominate and be the world champion of Impact and draw for them. And I think they need that more than... AEW doesn't need draws. Impact does, and I think he would fit there really well. And and the other thing... Every time there's a release, everybody says, oh, I hope AEW signs them. The the reality is they can't sign everyone. I'm... Hey, I'm pro worker here. I hope AEW signs everyone. I hope WWE doesn't release anybody. But that AEW roster is already really bloated. It's and enormous, and people it, don't talk about that. Yeah, like like there's just there's a lot of people that they have that they don't use, or they use once every couple of weeks, or they're only on dark. And it's like I, I don't really know what the, the the point is here. I think Impact's an interesting fit uh, in a place like that, and kind of what you talk about and what he brings um, in in a guy who can be in a main event right off the bat. One other thing about Strowman, he posted on Instagram a photo from, it looks like a, a bus, assuming they were on tour or something. And it's a photo, all the guys are shirtless. It's him, Bray Wyatt, Samoa Joe, the Good Brothers, Kurt Hawkins, uh, uh, Bo Dallas, uh, Curtis Axel, and now Pac. So only one of these guys is still <laughs> in the company. It kind of highlights just how many changes they've had really over the last number yeah. of years. Uh, and by the way, if you had told me, again, just as you said, 
never rooting for anyone to lose their job unless they do something, you know, that actually makes them deserving of losing their job. Um, but if you had told me that Bray got released, I would have been less surprised than Braun Strowman. Probably, yeah. I, I would agree with that. And that's really strange to say, considering how over the fiend it was when it first debuted and how much they've, quote unquote, I always hate using the term ruined because people overuse that when it comes to WWE. But through booking, they, they basically ruined the fiend or they stomped on it to a significant degree. So I did find that slightly strange. Uh, we'll keep moving on. We've got a few more names to discuss here. And, and again, just because we go shorter on some of these doesn't mean that they're any less important. It's just those two names, Aleister Black and Braun Strowman, they are really the headliners here for a wave of releases that these come completely unexpected. The, the wave after WrestleMania, there were names on that list that we were shocked to see, but you could generally understand them. Some of these, you just really can't. Or and, and, and they do surprised. it after WrestleMania every year. Right, exactly. I mean, technically it is still after WrestleMania, but it's a whole nother month later, right? Um, so third on the list here, we have Lana who got released. You know, very simple, uh, CJ Perry. She was one of the cowgirls at uh, Florida State. For those of you who can remember yeah. that far back with Jen Sturger, that's when I was in college. Uh, she came in as Rusev's manager, of course, her husband, uh, Miro, now. And we all know her story from uh, wearing those suits to dropping the Russian accent. She was briefly with Dolph Ziggler. Then she was with Bobby Lashley in that almost cuckold relationship storyline <laughs> Uh, that they did for a few months. And over the last year, they gave a good faith and effort to try and make her a wrestler. She notably trained with Natalia. Uh, I believe she trained with her husband, Miro, as well. Tyson Kidd, I think, worked with her. And I had been giving her credit on this podcast. She made some significant strides in the ring. It, she, at one point, she was absolutely terrible. Recently, she had become at least passable in the ring. And of course, we had that, I guess you can call it a semi-long-term storyline of her going through the Raw announce table like nine times with Nia Jax and eventually putting Jax through the table. Um, and that all was kind of good. Like, believe it or not, there was a wrestling storyline involving Lana that people actually liked. Uh, she tagged with Oscar for a while. That was kind of weird. But her continuing her career in a wrestling ring outside of a situation where she's a valet and, and she just happens to need to get in the ring for a storyline. I cannot imagine that she's going to continue her career in that vein. Could I see her joining AEW and managing Miro? Absolutely. And I think it would be really smart and make an, a ton of sense. But I could honestly also just see her being an influencer and being, you know, getting work in modeling, maybe acting as well, and kind of just going in that direction. Yeah, I don't know what her future and that looks like she she perhaps more than anybody else on this list has revenue streams easily available outside of wrestling um which i think is obviously good for them you know she got better she was was you know she was interesting out of if you if anybody watched the i don't know if it's wwe 24 if it was chronicle but they did one on lana and it was really good and it really highlighted how much she really wanted to be a wrestler and wanted to get better and how tough it was for her not to have house shows to practice to not have fans to work in front of. Um, but, but she, you know, her run as a, as a valet with Rusev was really, really good. And, and people talked about the, the Russian accent, whatever that character, Rusev, the Russian, that whole deal, that was over. That was really, really big. 
the guy fought John Cena at WrestleMania and came out on a tank. So, and, and she was a big part of that. Um, uh, what happens for her next? It, it would make sense for her to go be Rusev's manager again. I think everybody would get behind it. I think it would get Miro even more over. He seems to have found his footing in AEW now. He's not the, the gamer. He's an actual tough guy now, and I think it's working a lot more. And I think if you add Lana to that, I think it would help him uh, a bit more. But uh, I think she'll have plenty of other opportunities uh, as well. So, yeah. Uh, and, and let's not forget, she was the sole survivor. <laughs> she was at Survivor This series. year. It's true. Yeah. And what was a very well-told story. Yes. Between her yes. and Nia Jax, always putting her through a table. And she garnered support and sympathy. And they told a good story there. So uh, um, tough to see anybody go. But but Lana made made some impacts in, in certain spots. I, I don't think people thought she would. Yeah, I think she was definitely over the last year. When she returned after Rusev got released, Miro now, of course, uh, I think people were surprised. At least I was. I was surprised how good of a job she did. And it also seemed like she had a lot of good friends backstage. So it was really disappointing to see uh, that happen. Uh, we also had Murphy, the former Buddy Murphy, be released. Now, you guys know, listeners of mine, that this is more personally insulting than it is some a firing <laughs> or a release that doesn't make sense. Because it does make sense because the guy was not being used. But to me, in my opinion, it's just a total insult to wrestling as a genre to not figure out a way to make Murphy work somehow. Granted, he had trouble catching on an NXT. He started in the tag team with Wesley Blake. That didn't, didn't work. He went singles. But then he completely remade himself physically and otherwise when he went over to 205 Live into the cruiserweight division and put on absolute bangers with Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali and all those guys. Then he had a great run with Seth Rollins as the disciple after getting called up to Raw, you know, around the start of the pandemic. And all of this is not to mention his incredible series of matches with Aleister Black. You talk about Black being one of the MVPs early of the pandemic. Murphy was another one. They even had Murphy eventually go over Rollins after they got moved over to SmackDown to end that feud when Rollins had to leave for paternity. And then the storyline with the Mysterios gets completely dropped reportedly because the Mysterios, some if not all of them, got COVID-19 and they had to miss multiple weeks in a row. But once that was over, they literally did nothing with Murphy whatsoever. If you cannot figure out how to use Murphy, even if it's just a mid-card talent to get other people over, like a Shelton Benjamin, then you can't book wrestling. And it shocked me that this guy was on SmackDown and could not get regular matches. It's one thing if it's on Raw, but you're on SmackDown, you need to get people wins over other people and you can't book Murphy in matches. He can't get a United States uh, Intercontinental Championship opportunity. You can't find someone, Corbin, anyone to tag him with, Ziggler maybe, I don't know, anyone just to get this guy on screen. He should be wrestling most weeks whether in WWE or elsewhere, they could have moved him down to NXT. Instead, the guy didn't wrestle at all. It would not surprise me if he is someone who requ requested his release, which is why this one does not actually surprise me. He would be, and again, as you said, and as I mentioned earlier, AEW cannot sign everyone. But of the people on this list that we've discussed, Black makes a lot of sense. Murphy makes a lot of sense. He'd be a genius signing by them. But if I was him, I would immediately go to New Japan and absolutely 
dominate as a Gaijin, as an English speaker over there. He could be a huge star, be closer to home in Australia. But the comparisons that I've made and others have made between him and Kenny Omega, they're not flippant. (laughs) I don't necessarily think he's exactly Kenny Omega. He's not anywhere near the level of best wrestler in the world. But his talent is extraordinary. And they compare quite nicely from the perspective of a skill set. So Murphy, another guy I interviewed, him in black, I wish him nothing but the best. And it hurts me to see him no longer with a company that I watch three of their wrestling shows per week. I watch seven hours of WWE each week. And the fact that you can't find a spot for Murphy is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, of 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 all the people here, he's the one I actually would like to see in AEW, even if it's just a one-off, just so we can get a a, a knee mat a knee match between like V triggers basically. Yeah, V trigger <laughs> match basically. Maybe that's the only move that's allowed or something like that uh, to to truly compare because this guy's V trigger knee strike, whatever you want to call it, it's right up there. I think it's something everybody wants to see. Um, but your, your your new Japan explanation makes a lot of sense. Uh, we will see. He, I, I'm not someone who is like soup as into the wrestling as I am the greater story, like you are. Yeah. But he was a guy when he had a match. I was like, I gotta watch this one because I know it's gonna be really, really fun. And uh, yeah, it's amazing he couldn't get even on SmackDown. Couldn't get into an Intercontinental feud or or anything. He he just re- outside of the the Rollins stuff for a bit there. He re- really just went nowhere the whole time, and it's really surprising. Yeah, I'm not asking this guy to be a main eventer. I'm saying I'm saying figure out a way to get him in the tag team division or in the mid card and yeah. you can easily do it. Anyone, a capable wrestling booker could do that. Anyone. Uh, we'll move on. There's two more releases. Ruby Riot was released. Extremely talented in the ring and extremely popular with the wrestlers backstage. You saw a lot of outpouring of affection for her after her release today. For her, she just never really seemed to fit in WWE. And I don't think that's her fault. I don't really think it's their fault either. We kind of said this with the last batch of releases. I forget who it was that I said it about, but sometimes there's just not the perfect fit and no one is really to blame for it. And it's unfortunate because she should have at least had a tag team title opportunity to, I mean, to hold the titles, especially since the reformation of the Riot Squad with Liv Morgan as a two-woman group. But while I hate to see her go, I at least understand it, given they have such a significant amount of top-tier women's wrestling talent in NXT that they can bring up and probably will now at any time. She could catch on anywhere, be it Impact, be it AEW, Ring of Honor, if they get that women's division going. She could go back to Stardom um, or Shimmer, wherever she was previously. I do think AEW could really use her to really push that division forward, but that's only if they're really going to buy in and care about women's wrestling. They still don't give it more than like the the minimal amount of time, even though the matches in AEW have gotten significantly better. They do deserve credit for that. But when you combine Ruby with Lana, they broke up, Chris, two of the four women's tag teams that they had. Three, if you don't count Jackson Baszler, because it seems like they're going to break up. So I have no idea what's going to happen with the women's division. I have no idea what's going to happen with the women's tag team division. But I do hate to see Ruby Riot go. I at least understand this. And again, I just say, I don't know that it was ever the right fit. Her, 
in WWE. Yeah, it's a real freaking shame that the Riot Squad never got a tag team championship run. And these releases, Ruby and Lana, make me wonder if they should just get rid of the women's tag belts. Um, just because I don't, it, it's been a struggle to kind of develop stuff there. They put something together decently for WrestleMania this year, but then it, it kind of just rotates itself. It's kind of a situation where should they just be on one brand or something like that? It's 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 been weird, but Ruby is another one. Actually, yeah, AEW would work if they are willing to put more time and effort into the women's division because I think they need more talent there. Um, and yeah, just my, my, my first thought was, was it's, it's a, it's a damn shame that they never got a tag team title run because they really deserved it. And it's uh, it's too bad. And then last of the six releases is Santana Garrett, which is by far the least surprising of the group. She showed up in the 2017 May Young Classic signed in 2019, but she was just never really used or successful, whether it was NXT or I believe she may have done some matches on the main roster during the start of the pandemic. She was actually in the Women's Royal Rumble this year, but this just wasn't working for her. She'll definitely catch on somewhere, whether it's the NWA or Impact or Independence, Ring of Honor. I don't think AEW really has any use for her, but you no, know, she did have a career before WWE and she was heavily used on the independent circuit. So I do hope that she you know, gets work and catches on somewhere. I don't even know if no offense to you. I know you're not a massive NXT fan. I don't know how familiar you even are with Santana Garrett. So I, I was not familiar with her at all. Okay. So those are the six releases uh, from WWE. Of course, this is on the back of the releases they had, both from the main roster and NXT uh, within the last month. And that leads us to kind of wonder what's next, right? Um, first of all, are there going to be more releases? We don't know that. There was a report today that more releases are coming. Then again, we went through the rest of the day and no other releases happened. In fact, we delayed the show a little bit because we thought there might be more releases and we didn't want to tape the show and then suddenly have to talk about more people. Now, certainly that can happen tomorrow, can happen later this week, next week, next month. We don't know what's going to happen, but there's clearly a trend here of WWE cutting salary. And that has led to what has seemingly grown into the popular opinion, even though I don't know how right it is or how correct it is which is that WWE may be for sale. And again, I'm not saying that's the case, but it is something to legitimately consider, despite the fact that Nikon recently said Vince McMahon has absolutely no intention of selling WWE. But once UFC got sold for $4 billion, and maybe now once WWE just saw that Amazon bought the MGM Studios for $8 billion, this has become a real possibility for them. Obviously, Xfinity slash NBC Universal. I don't even know what that company's called anymore. I that think it's would NBC be, Universal, yeah. Com, is it? The whole Comcast, NBC Universal, they're all, Xfinity, all under yeah, the same deal, yeah. The whole deal. Um, obviously, they would be the lead because even though WWE's biggest TV contract right now is with Fox, they've been a property of, they've been a, a feature, I should say, not a property of USA Network and the NBC team ever since they came back to USA from that short stint in TNN, which was an ill-advised move uh, back in the day. But I don't know that it's headed in that direction necessarily. And even if it does, there's no saying that the McMahons either wouldn't retain some ownership stake, nor that Vince would not be in charge. They could sell a portion of the company. Um, they could sell it, but in the contract that Vince 
and the McMahon, Vince still gets to sit as the chairman for 10 years or whatever the hell they want to do. But I do think it's fair for that to be the leading theory right now because cutting people like Black and Strowman, those are significant cuts. And that doesn't even include the fact that they lost guys like Samojo and Andrade and some other people who have been recently released. So I don't know that WWE's for sale. If you ask me to bet on it, I would bet that they are not for sale. But I do understand why that's a leading theory in the clubhouse right now. It's it to me it's 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 the combination of shedding talent with the influx of several media executives. We we talked the other day about the addition of Jamie Horowitz, formerly of Fox and ESPN. Um, so it's not like this is a company that's trying to shed costs everywhere it can. They're about to go back on tour, you know. It it so it's it's the kind of moves that eventually that feel like you're on the road to selling the company. I mean, WWE is making $5 billion from NBC Universal for Peacock, and that's not nothing, but they are in the content creation business and media companies are going for huge dollars right now. You 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 listed off MGM, you listed off UFC and these other things. So to me, it, it's, it's leaning that way. I mean, I mean, again, you have... People coming into the company who have no wrestling experience. Nick Khan did not have any background in wrestling. Jamie Horowitz has no background in wrestling. These are the kinds of moves that feel like you're preparing to kind of get out of the wrestling business or at least shift your business into other areas. So we'll see. I don't know for sure. To me, I put it at maybe 50-50 if they're looking to sell or not. But... You have to bet $100. What are you betting? Well, uh, so, so are we saying sold ever? Or are we saying sold within two years? Within the next uh, 12 months. 12 months? I would say no. If you're going to say three to five years, I'd say yes. Oh, I think three to five years is, is quite feasible. But okay. if you're cutting this salary now, yeah. the theory going around of sale would be soon. Because yeah. you don't cut salary now to sell the company in right. years. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, it's tough. I just, I, I think it's very, very real. And I don't know what the future of WWE uh, looks like in, in in a different way. I mean, you know, we always thought it would go down to Triple H and Stephanie and they may be still be in control of the company. But, you know, this idea of ownership happens more and more. We didn't think the WWE, who saw them selling the WWE network back in the day when it launched? Things just change. And absolutely. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a very real possibility. I have no idea what it's going to mean, but just th- these releases kind of out of the blue with people they clearly had plans for, plus the, the recent addition of these various executives, just really make it feel like that's the road they're heading down. It, it definitely seems like it could be that way. Another theory I'll give you is, look, they are just simply restructuring this company, top to bottom, right? And when you do that, Unfortunately, a lot of people lose their jobs, not just talent, but front office people. We've seen massive changes to the front office. And WWE could potentially simply be cutting expenses because touring is coming back. And there's a lot of associated costs that go with that. And a lot of fans forget, regularly forget, that WWE is a publicly traded company that's 
beholden to its investors, meaning you don't want a show that's going to go back on tour to result in you being less profitable. Now, you'll say, well, Adam, wait a second. Didn't WWE just cut a ton of talent and employees you know, 15 months ago because they stopped touring? So if they did that, why would they cut more talent to go return to touring? The answer, unfortunately, is because that's how corporate America works. You make cuts, you notice that after those cuts, you make the same exact profit or more profit. And then when you need to start investing in your company and start spending again, you make even more cuts to ensure the profit level remains the same. But then you look at it from the perspective of WWE and you say, well, shouldn't WWE want attractive, big name talent to get people to buy tickets? And that is why Strowman in particular is someone who doesn't make sense to me given that circumstance. However, if that report that you cited is correct and his salary was such an encumbrance and a a line item on their books where they said, we are just not getting the value for the expenditure of this one individual, then maybe that does make sense. But I'm going to put forward what I just said as the more likely scenario, where if I had to bet on it being one of the two, whether WWE was being sold or whether they were reducing their costs because they know they're about to go spend a lot more money to start traveling again, I believe it's the latter You also have to remember that WWE really beefed up its coffers of talent, and I don't believe in the term hoarding talent. And I still, to this day, even despite all these releases, you will hear people say WWE was hoarding talent to keep them from AEW and all this type of stuff. I do believe that WWE offered massive contracts to stop people from leaving in order to keep them from AEW. But I am not of the opinion that their signings, the people they bring into developmental and NXT are hoarding talent. I believe they have a developmental system. They want the best of the best. They bring all these people in. Some of them work. Some of them don't. And what we always talk about is NXT doing the best job developing talent, getting them on TV, putting them in storylines and giving them gimmicks that we like until they move up to the main roster and quote unquote, get ruined. So... I never really bought into the hoarding talent other than the aspect of, again, signing people to big contracts and spending extra money on them that they wouldn't otherwise to keep them from places. But when it comes to acquiring talent, fresh talent, that's never been something that I necessarily believe. So you're trimming that though, because they did have a significant talent roster. Whether you believe they hoarded talent or not, they had a huge talent roster. Um, And the steps that they took to try to ward off competition from AEW didn't necessarily work. So there's not good reason for them to necessarily keep their coffers as stacked as they had been when the efforts they made to stop another organization ultimately failed. But more than anything else, Chris, and I'll let you get in because I just kind of threw two conversations into one. More than anything else, I do believe this is cost cutting ahead of touring. And I would not be surprised if some of the names on this list in particular make their way back to WWE. I'm not saying in the next two months or in the next four months, but someday. It's possible. I mean, I I don't know the costs of the crew, the ring crew, the people who typically do all the, the logistics of the traveling. I don't know what they've done over the last year plus. Maybe they've been laid off. I don't know 
we don't we don't get a ton of reporting on that like we do the wrestlers. So it's it's certainly possible. I just know that someone like Jamie Horowitz is not coming in for you know pennies on the dime. Uh, They're or, spending a lot of money. I, I mean, do I rather have Jamie Horowitz or Braun Strowman? In a million times over, I'd rather have Braun Strowman. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they think the ratings are are so bad that they need to have a new approach to TV, you know, because that's that's Horowitz's background. But um, they are treating themselves like a media company, not like a wrestling company. And maybe that's for the best. I mean, we, we we've complained that they haven't treated themselves as a wrestling company. They're a sports sports entertainment company. Uh, but uh, clearly there is. I think big changes going on in the direction of the company, whether or not it's, it's for sale. And I think that's pretty clear with the news of the last uh, couple of days. Yeah, it is. And this is all certainly unfortunate to see six people lose their jobs. I do think most, if not all of them are going to rebound quite well. And ultimately for some, it could be a blessing in disguise or it could just be a blessing if, if they are aware or perhaps asked for their release. Uh, certainly those things can all be true at the same time. So look, um, let's hope there's no more cuts. Let's hope we don't have to do any more of these instant reaction shows, but we will break this here and I will get on to uh, talking NXT on the other side. Chris, is there anything you kind of wanted to say before we get out of here today? Uh, nope. Just best of luck to everybody who got let go. And uh, hopefully, like you said, hopefully there aren't more of these coming. I completely agree. Chris, thank you for joining me on what is normally an off day for you on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And folks, on the other side of this sound, we will be talking everything that happened this week in NXT. Now, it is exceptionally difficult to transition from talking about people losing their jobs and WWE's talent releases to talking professional wrestling in a kayfabe sense, right? Talking about what happened on TV, but the original plan for today's show was to do an NXT recap episode because it was airing on Tuesday, as it always does, and AEW Dynamite got pushed like, once again until Friday night at 10 p.m. Eastern, which meant if we wanted to wait to do our normal NXT and AEW show, then anyone who wanted to hear about NXT would be waiting for the better part of a week. So that didn't make sense. It does make sense to do NXT on a Wednesday show, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So we're going to break down Tuesday night's episode, all the storylines, everything that we would normally do, and we're also going to look ahead to NXT TakeOver in your house coming up on Sunday, June 13th, because this show was largely created um, and booked to set up that pay-per-view, if you want to call it that, the special event. So the show opened with Kyle O'Reilly against Pete Dunne and Johnny Gargano in a number one contendership match with the winner going on to face Karrion Cross for the NXT title. In the same way that I praised the AEW triple threat at Double or Nothing, it was great to see all three of these guys consistently engaged with each other. Dunn did a double hand stop. O'Reilly did a double dragon screw. O'Reilly then did an underhook face buster on Gargano, planting him into Dunn. I'm really just giving a Cliff's Notes here because there was so much that happened in this match. Dunn got a near fall on Gargano after an X-Plex. Then he broke up O'Reilly's heel hook. Gargano countered bitter end into a DDT and did a lawn dart into the corner for another near fall. Dunn broke the Gargano escape by snapping Johnny's fingers and then hit the bitter end. But O'Reilly invaded on the fall with his flying knee. And then right after that, out of nowhere, Adam Cole runs in and attacks all three guys with a steel chair. 
focusing mostly on O'Reilly. He knocked him and Gargano out with the last shot, and he dumped Dunn on his head with a brain buster outside the ring. Then Cole stared down general manager William Regal, who had come down with security and forced him to leave. So NXT goes to commercial after that. And when it comes back, the match is just over. Everyone was gone, and Cole was still being walked to the backstage area. Now, there was more stuff that happened immediately tangentially related to that with Ember Moon and the women's championship picture, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. The Cole interference in the match, to me, was no surprise at all. In fact, it was so predictable that on this very podcast last week, I called it. Sometimes predictable things are good. And sometimes predictable things are good. But in this instance, in this moment, I didn't think this was one of those times. Just like Drew McIntyre versus Kofi Kingston two weeks ago on Raw, this was a heavily promoted, important match that ended without a winner. Cole attacking O'Reilly to cost him the title shot would have made a ton of sense if someone else was to win the match. But taking out Gargano and Dunn in the moment was nonsensical. And it just felt like it was bad booking and basically a shame because the match was on its way to being a very, very good match. Four stars, you know, above that. It was just that good. Now, that was my feeling in the moment. And I'm always honest about how I feel in the moment when something happens. And then, obviously, if the storyline progresses and transpires in a different way during the show, my opinion can change. But in the moment, 30 minutes into NXT... I tweeted this. I had no idea who was booking this show. It seemed so counter to what NXT normally does that it just really didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I wasn't pleased with how that booking had unfolded. Now, as I said, a lot more happened on the show. The three guys who were in that match all ended up in a training room. They were being treated at the top of the hour, 9 p.m. Eastern, when Austin Theory and Oni Lorcan got in an argument about who was actually on their way to winning that match. Then all of a sudden, Cole walks by them and he walks back into the ring saying he's the real number one contender for the NXT title because he's the greatest NXT champion of all time. All three of the guys that were in the match had failed to go after the title and he easily took them out three on one. He then called out Karrion Cross, said he was an overrated musclehead. Cross entered to crickets and said he respected Cole's move, but that he's no longer the top dog in NXT. He called Cole a gas station weasel. Cole then broke the fourth wall, saying NXT goes above and beyond to put Cross over. He has a woman with him, smoke machines, all that stuff. But all they needed to do for Adam Cole to get over is ring the bell. It was a fantastic line, and it was extremely accurate regarding Cross. Though let's not forget that Cole, when he debuted in NXT, got an entire faction with him. Anyway, I digress. Regal came out and said he wouldn't let Cole weasel his way into a one-on-one title match, and Cross told Regal to shut the hell up because he's the one who's the champion. He's the one who gets to dictate his matches. And he wants all four guys in a fatal five way at TakeOver In Your House. So Cole was incredible on the mic in this segment. I thought it was just a top tier promo. The guy's a machine. Like every time he grabs a mic, he's just absolutely nails. And the promo he cut made a lot of sense, both for his character and in storyline. His mic work basically saved the entire storyline because it kind of felt to me like it was headed off a cliff. Cross also came off like a badass in kayfabe because he demanded to take on all four challengers at once. But the crowd, and granted, it's an extremely small crowd and they were trying to be quiet to listen to the promos. 
it was dead for it. NXT didn't pipe in any audio. So despite it being an impactful segment, the atmosphere kind of led it to fall a little flat because there was no real climax at the end. Regal, when he said, okay, you know, let's do the match, done, the match is booked. He said it so low and off mic that the crowd didn't even get a chance to pop for it. So ultimately, this ended up being good enough from a booking standpoint, and the match at TakeOver is going to be exceptional. I have no doubt that this is going to be a banger because NXT rarely does multi-min matches to this degree for the title. In fact, I don't think they've had a fatal four-way or more in an NXT title match since like 2014. So you're talking about like seven years at this point. So that's all going to be great. And the match should be a car wreck. But I didn't necessarily love how this all came together, even though elements of it were okay. Now, we do have a couple DMs on this subject to get to. The first from Nick Flynn at nflynn underscore 17. He said, what is the likelihood that the fatal five way for the NXT championship is the way they get the title off cross, still making him look strong, but not taking the fall and moving him up to the main roster? In fact, I'm gonna answer these two questions together because they're very similar. The other one is from Black Saber Jr. at underscore Black Saber Jr. He said, do you see Karrion Cross as someone who fits the Elias mold, i.e. someone who doesn't seem to fit in NXT, but makes sense on the main roster? Or is he more like Ascension? And once he's on a show with similarly sized guys, he loses a lot of his mystique. Both very good questions. So to answer Nick's question first, I do think it's very likely. Now, there's only two ways they go with it. Either Cross beats the ever-loving shit out of all these guys, right? And suddenly, none of them are contenders for the NXT Championship anymore. And then you look at the rest of NXT and you're like, well, who is? And there's not a great answer for that. Or Cross drops the title. They move him out of NXT and up to the main roster. And you have feuds that can go on. Uh, If O'Reilly wins, he feuds with Cole. Same thing if Cole wins again, he feuds with O'Reilly. Gargano could win the title back and be a transitional champion, or they could completely surprise everyone and have Dunn win the title, which would really be, even though O'Reilly would be fresh as a champion, Dunn as champion would be the freshest booking because he's the most different out of recent champions that NXT's had. So I do think that's ultimately the booking, but then you have to question NXT a little bit, right? Because they just did this with Keith Lee. They put the title off him. He barely had a reign. They took it off. He moved up to the main roster. Now they're going to do the exact same thing with Karrion Cross. And it's like, why put the title on them at all when you just don't really need to? They're such strong characters. And Cross was coming back from being injured. They could have just re-debuted him on the main roster. So none of that made a lot of sense to me or would make a lot of sense to me if that's the direction they go. However, I do think it is the direction they go. Otherwise, there's no one to contend for that title unless you bring in Walter from NXT UK, which is not something I think they're going to do. Uh, regarding the second part of the question, yes, Cross is, he does fit the Elias mold, right? And it's not just because of Cross, it's Cross and Scarlet. Them as a combination, I'm not saying the gimmick is solid, but there's a mystique to them. There's a really nice character and look that does fit really well on a Raw or a SmackDown, especially now that Alistair Black is gone. Not saying that it has to be the same character, but that's a guy who could kind of level up and take that place of an Alistair Black. And Elias, he similarly in NXT didn't have a great gimmick. The Drifter was just the Drifter. Like it never really got over. But once it got those main roster touches to it, it really worked. And I think that is 
what's going to happen with Karrion Cross? Then again, Aleister Black in NXT was exceptional. And I thought once he went to the main roster, he was going to be an absolute superstar, as I said earlier. So anyone can fail. And, and WWE can obviously at this point mismanage anyone. But no, I don't think he's headed for any type of ascension type of stuff. That um, That's reserved right now for Mason T-Bar, unfortunately, because they're stuck in this awful gimmick. I think Karrion Cross, if he does move up to the main roster, will succeed massively. The question is, is that going to be the booking here coming out of TakeOver? First, is he going to lose? And then second, if he does lose, is that what they're going to do? Are they going to move him up to the main roster? I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. Now we'll move to the main event, which had the NXT tag team titles on the line, MSK defending against Legado del Fantasma. Early in the show, Santos Escobar said he'd have the teams back just like they had his a year ago when he won the Cruiserweight title. MSK also got a short promo later. And like right after the match began, the Grizzled Young Veterans and Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher all randomly started fighting at ringside. It was strange. Uh, but the action itself, the, the MSK versus Legato match, it was nonstop as you would expect. This thing was absolute fire and a lot of fun. Wesley kicked out after a double basement dropkick. And later, after a springboard moonsault, Nash Carter got the hot tag and MSK did the push standing moonsault move that they do. Raul Mendoza got a blind tag and nailed Lee with a ridiculous, insane springboard missile dropkick that saw Lee go flying into the middle rope. And he followed that with a swinging neckbreaker. The crowd went apeshit for it and Vic Joseph sold it like it was the finish to the match. Legato then did a half dozen quick tags and a tag team Huracarana powerbomb for a 2.9 near fall. Lee was tossed outside, and Escobar threw him headfirst in, into the steel steps with the referee's back turned. Legato hit their still unnamed Russian leg sweep finisher, but Carter made the save by a freaking hair. Then out of nowhere, Bronson Reed ran in and squashed Escobar into the hockey glass. He absolutely annihilated him, and it was a great sight with Escobar selling it like absolute death. Then simultaneously, MSK hit their also still unnamed lifted flipping neckbreaker for the win. This thing was an absolute banger in every sense of the word. MSK and Legato impress me every time they're in the ring, whether separately or together. The Reed Escobar feud, you know, got built after they kind of started doing that a little bit last week. And the finish was squeaky clean. It's so tough for me not to go with a higher grade for this match. But given what we recently have seen from really raw SmackDown and AEW double or nothing over the weekend. All of that is in my head. So it's, I have to kind of place it within all of that. So I'm going to go 4.25 stars, which is a low A, but I freaking loved this from start to finish. And if you like tag team wrestling, and for some reason you're listening to this and haven't seen MSK versus Legato, you need to go out and see MSK versus Legato. Now, going back to that opening segment, once Adam Cole was being walked to the back, Ember Moon came down, walking past Cole and Regal, grabbed a mic, and demanded Raquel Gonzalez atone for what she did to Shotzi Blackheart last week. Gonzalez came down to answer her, and they brawled for a moment before Regal and security broke them up. Then, with Regal's back turned, Dakota Kai came in and attacked Moon from behind. Regal was incensed. This wasn't bad by any means, but it just felt so frantic and exceptionally strange coming immediately after the Cole stuff. That's what I was talking about. The first 30 minutes of NXT to me just came off weird, almost as if they were booked by the Raw creative team or something, and it didn't really resemble what the show was normally like. Now that changed throughout the rest of the show, but that's just how I felt in those first 30 minutes. 
Later in the show, Moon said she was going to take out Kai next week and then challenge Gonzalez for the women's title at TakeOver In Your House. And this just seems like a rush storyline. Like they had to find an in-between feud for Gonzalez, which is strange given that this is one of only a handful of takeovers they have every year that so many of the matches made for the show, we'll talk about it later, they're either rushed or they don't feel like they belong on a takeover. So it's going to be interesting to see how this card fattens out, you know, the entire way. The cruiserweight title was also on the line Tuesday. Kushida defending in an open challenge. He ends up defending against Carmelo Hayes. This is the former Christian Casanova. He was signed to NXT less than four months ago. He cut a strong but short taped promo and had really good entrance music. It sounded like an old, uh, like a Cameron track from back in the day. I also like his ring name. Carmelo Hayes is a really strong name. Hayes hit a cool springboard leg drop with Kushida elevated on the ropes. And then later, I think it was a springboard sling blade. Kushida sold his ass off for the rookie, all credit to him. There were some great counters, but Kushida kicked Hayes in the head and won with the hoverboard lock. They shook hands after. Kushida pointed to him to put him over. And then Kushida actually sent a tweet after NXT really putting him over, saying that he loved how much NXT trusted him to get in matches with rookies like this and, you know, give them their debuts. This was a ton of fun, a great unexpected debut for Hayes. I'm not going to go too high on the grade. I'll say like 3.25 stars, which is a solid B. There just weren't a lot of near falls and there wasn't a lot of belief from a storytelling standpoint that Kushida would lose the title, but the action was cool and it was a great debut for Hayes. We got LA Knight against Jake Atlas in a singles match. Knight cut a promo starting backstage as he walked all the way to the ring. It was probably his best promo yet, but I don't know that that's saying much. Ted DiBiase came out to observe after a few minutes. Knight did the Million Dollar Man's signature fist drop and a slingshot shoulder tackle, but couldn't get the Million Dollar Dream locked in. I could not believe how long this match went on. It was like two entire segments. It felt like it took forever. Cameron Grimes came down late in the match to chat with DiBiase. He did not interfere in the match. Atlas hit a Death Valley driver and a standing moonsault for a near fall. Then Knight got distracted and Atlas hit his cartwheel DDT finisher for the win. Grimes laughed and DiBiase shook his head in disapproval before saying that Knight dropped the ball. With Grimes and Knight headed for a feud, they're going to be fighting a takeover. I just have no idea why you have Knight lose here to freaking Atlas if you're trying to build him up. You all know I have no fondness for LA Knight in particular, but this guy has not gotten any semblance whatsoever of strong booking since debuting in NXT. So I just felt it was a confusing decision when ideally you'd have him get distracted but overcome that distraction because he's better than Atlas and deserving of consideration by DiBiase. So it was just a strange piece of booking with one more show until TakeOver in your house. I presume they're going to have Grimes wrestle next week. I presume they're going to have Knight distract Grimes somehow and force him to lose. Instead of coming in on wins, they're going to be coming in on losses And to me, it just doesn't make much sense. Zaya Lee and Boa were backstage watching footage of Zaya's debut match in NXT in the Mae Young Classic from a few years ago. She basically broke down how that loss was her original sin in NXT, and it's why she has targeted Mercedes Martinez, that was her opponent, and wants a rematch with her all of these years later at TakeOver. Martinez later accepted the challenge and said she planned to run through her at TakeOver. We'll talk more about this a bit later. Uh, The way faced Zoe Stark and Zeta Ramir in a non-title match. Indy Hartwell was listening to 80s power ballads backstage when Candice LeRae forced her to take the headphones off. Later, Dexter Loomis put the headphones on and he shed a tear because of what Indy was listening to. 
In the match, Stark got the hot tag, but ended up taking a facial off the ring apron. The way combined for Wicked Stepsister and Pretty Savage, which is Hartwell's springboard elbow drop. And that tag team move, the, the double finisher, is called Wicked Savage. Hey, look at that. Finishers with names in NXT and a tag team finisher with a name in NXT. What a surprise. But I did pop for it. It was a cool way to finish the match, and I like both moves individually. This was a good little match. In fact, it was better than either of the women's tag team matches across the main roster shows this past week. So like you had the Natalia and Tamina match against the Riot Squad. It was better than that. And it was definitely better than Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose against Naomi and Lana. And now that I'm mentioning those matches, obviously two of those women are no longer with the company, which means two women's tag teams have broken up on the main roster. As I mentioned earlier, uh, there was another Diamond Mine vignette showing a group of people training with all of the MMA-inspired graphics and images around it. Then it said opening soon, which makes me believe this may actually be the rumored NXT Evolve show rather than just a group or faction. If so, despite Diamond Mine as a name making sense in that context, I just think that would be a super weird name for a show or brand. And you also kind of wonder why WWE is in the midst of releasing talent if they're going to start another show or brand. So there you go. A hit row rolled up in the parking lot and got in the faces of Maverick and Everrise before Dane, Killian Dane, came in to make the save. It was a hot little segment that I thought would result in a TV match, but I just suppose they're going to be saving that for next week. And then lastly, Frankie Monet was braggadociously reading reviews of her match last week while getting her makeup done by a couple of guys. There was nothing else to that, really. So the takeaway from NXT is that there are four matches now set for NXT TakeOver in your house on June 13th. We have the Fatal Five-Way, Karrion Cross against Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, and Johnny Gargano for the NXT title. We have the Women's Championship on the line, Raquel Gonzalez against Ember Moon. We have Cameron Grimes against LA Knight with no stipulation as of right now, and Zia Lee against Mercedes Martinez. This, to me, is just a really strange card with four matches that have seen relatively minimal build and two that would fit much better as TV matches as opposed to being on a takeover. Neither Grimes versus Knight nor Lee versus Martinez seem like they would be bangers. And usually that's what you get on takeover. That's what takeovers really are all about, high quality wrestling. We still have another week, but it's weird that they just gave away what was a great tag team title match that certainly was takeover worthy. Now they could do a fatal four-way match and it seems like they may have been building that considering the Champa Thatcher and Grizzled Young Veterans involvement in that match, even though they didn't really interfere, they showed up during it. But I'm not sure that two big multi-man matches on the same show is something NXT will do or something that makes a lot of sense. It also does seem like we could get Bronson Reed versus Santos Escobar for the North American Championship. If you add those two matches in, we're at six total, and that's basically an entire takeover card. And I really don't think there's any other matches that are being built right now that would make sense. But, you know, NXT did give away Raquel Gonzalez and Mercedes Martinez recently, and they gave away this NXT Tag Team Championship match. They also gave away an NXT Women's Championship match, all of which I think would have been better placed on a takeover card than the matches that we're just talking about having gotten. By the way, Johnny Gargano and Bronson Reed in a steel cage match probably would have been a better takeover match. And you don't necessarily need Johnny Gargano in this NXT championship match unless you're having him win the title. So not the greatest episode of NXT. I think um, 
four and three weeks ago, we were talking about NXT putting on two of the best episodes it ever has. Last week, I said it took a little bit of a step back, but it was still really good. And I kind of feel the same way this week. It, it took a little bit of a step back, but it was still a really damn good wrestling television show. Two hours that I was happy to watch and happy to talk about here. But again, it's just a situation where you kind of wonder, you know, why has NXT been so hot some weeks and taking step backs, steps back in other weeks? And maybe it's just because of the NBA playoffs. Maybe they're worried about putting good matches on TV and not so much about the takeover since it's on Peacock. I don't necessarily have the answers, but I am very curious to see what the go-home show for NXT TakeOver in your house is like next week. Because after that, you know on this podcast, you will get NXT TakeOver in your house ultimate preview. And of course, the following Sunday, not this Sunday, next Sunday, right after that show goes off the air, you will get NXT TakeOver in your house instant analysis. That's just how we do it here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Now, as far as what shows are coming up, the plan right now, barring more breaking news this week, is either late, late Friday night or at some point on Saturday, we will have a breakdown of AEW Dynamite. Again, that is taking place on Friday at 10 p.m. Eastern on TNT. And then again, as of right now, this is the plan. We will be back on Tuesday with our latest WWE show. So I know this was a crazy podcast. It was an emergency podcast talking about WWE releases and a regular NXT recap show all jammed into one. But I appreciate all of you guys joining us and listening once again. A reminder here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, it is all about the damn five. And that means leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You know, hey, if you don't do it for our normal shows, at least do it for the emergency podcast. Let people know the special types of shows that we do, how much you love them. And again, all those ratings and reviews really help bump us up on the Apple Podcast rankings, which are extremely important. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That's it. I will say sayonara. This show is over. That means the Silver King is leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.